European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 39, Issue 24, Focus Issue on Hypertension by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Back to square one. What is a normal blood pressure and for whom? High blood pressure was one of the first recognized risk factors, but the level at which hypertension can be diagnosed varied hugely over time. Indeed, in the old days, it was 100 millimeters of mercury plus in the systolic range, then the experts settled at 160 over 95 millimeters of mercury, just to set it at 140 over 90 millimeters of mercury a few years later. Now, the US guidelines defined truly normal blood pressure at levels below 120 millimeters of mercury systolic. If any of our readers are confused at a higher level, he or she is ready to read the editor's note, what is a normal blood pressure? There, he or she will learn that our ancestors had blood pressures in the range of 110 over 70 millimeters of mercury, or lower throughout their life, if they survived war, hunger, and infections. The rather emotional transatlantic debate about the new US recommendations must thus be interpreted in a larger context. We must rethink target values in a personalized fashion and consider global and lifetime risk when deciding treatment strategies for an individual patient. This view is challenged by Franz Messerly from the Inselspital University Hospital Bern in Switzerland in his viewpoint, Changing Definition of Hypertension in Guidelines, How Innocent a Number Game, he is concerned about the fact that, as of January 2017, with the publication of the new US guidelines on hypertension, there would now be millions more hypertensives at age 60 and above in the US alone, and expresses his hope that despite those recommendations, physicians will continue to treat them and not millimeters of mercury only. Things are even more complicated than that. Indeed, not only blood pressure as such, but blood pressure variability is associated with increased cardiovascular risk. In their article, Blood Pressure Variability and Risk of Cardiovascular Events and Death in Patients with Hypertension and Different Baseline Risks, Eivind Berger and colleagues from the Oslo University Hospital in Norway evaluated this in their VALUE trial, enrolling 13,803 patients, of which 11.3% had a cardiovascular event. Patients in the highest quintile of standard deviation of blood pressure had a 2.1-fold increased cardiovascular risk. A 5 mm of mercury increase in standard deviation of systolic blood pressure was associated with a 10% increase in the risk of death. The effects were stronger in younger patients and those with lower systolic blood pressure. Thus, Higher visit-to-visit -visit systolic blood pressure variability is associated with increased risk of events, irrespective of baseline risk, particularly in younger patients and those with lower systolic blood pressure. These novel findings are further discussed in an editorial by Stéphane Laurent from the Hôpital Européen Georges Pompidou in Paris, France. As in the hypertensive population at large, 
Optimal blood pressure remains uncertain in patients with type 2 diabetes mellitus, in particular as they have been excluded in the landmark SPRINT trial. Also, there is concern for increased risk with low diastolic blood pressure. In their article, Blood Pressure and Cardiovascular Outcomes in Patients with Diabetes and High Cardiovascular Risk, Brian Allen Bergmark and the Saver Timmy 53 investigators analyzed the association between blood pressure and cardiovascular outcomes in 12,175 high-risk patients with type 2 diabetes mellitus. Adjusted risk of the composite endpoint of cardiovascular death, myocardial infarction, or ischemic stroke showed U-shaped relationships with baseline systolic blood pressure and diastolic blood pressure with nadirs, and systolic blood pressure 130 to 140, or diastolic blood pressure 80 to 90 millimeters of mercury. Diastolic blood pressure below 60 millimeters of mercury was associated with a 2.3-fold increased risk of myocardial infarction. Thus, in patients with diabetes and elevated cardiovascular risk, even after extensive adjustment for underlying disease burden, there was a persistent association for low diastolic blood pressure with subclinical myocardial injury and risk of myocardial infarction. The obesity epidemic is a big threat for the Western world, and increasingly so, also in developing countries. Indeed, more and more children are obese, putting them at an enormous lifetime risk. In their article, Distinct Child-to-Adult BMI Trajectories Are Associated with Different Levels of Adult Cardiometabolic Risk, Marie-Jean Basco and colleagues from the University of Tasmania Menzies Institute for Medical Research in Hobart, Australia, investigated body mass index trajectories from early childhood to adulthood and their association with cardiovascular risk. Out of six trajectories of worsening or persisting obesity, all were associated with increased risk of cardiovascular disease outcomes in adulthood, i.e. 24 to 49 years. Although residual risk for adult type 2 diabetes mellitus could not be confirmed, participants who resolved their elevated child's body mass index had similar risk for dyslipidemia and hypertension as those never obese or overweight. However, they had increased carotid intermedia thickness. Thus, long-term body mass index trajectories that reach or persist at high levels associate with cardiovascular disease risk factors in adulthood. Stabilizing body mass index in obese adults and resolving elevated child body mass index by adulthood might limit and reduce adverse cardiometabolic profiles. The practical implications of these important findings are put into context in a thoughtful editorial by John E. Deanfield from the Institute of Child Health in London, UK. Hypertensives often have diabetes, and diabetics commonly have high blood pressure and concomitant metabolic disorders, and therefore are at very high risk. While until recently the cardiovascular benefits of anti-diabetic drugs were uncertain, novel drugs such as the sodium glucose transport inhibitors have changed the picture. Thus, 
the current opinion, non-insulin anti-diabetic pharmacotherapy in patients with established cardiovascular disease, a position paper of the European Society of Cardiology Working Group on Cardiovascular Pharmacotherapy, by Alexander Niesner and colleagues from the Medical University of Vienna in Austria, is timely. Reducing the type 2 diabetes mellitus-associated risk is indeed of utmost importance, as recommended by the ESC guidelines. Commonly, HbA1c values less than 7% are recommended. However, the association between HbA1c and short to mid-term cardiovascular events is not well defined. Indeed, only specific anti-diabetic therapies reduce major adverse cardiovascular events, and this effect appears to be independent of baseline HbA1c levels or HbA1c reduction. This position paper critically appraises emerging evidence regarding anti-diabetic pharmacotherapy in patients with type 2 diabetes mellitus and mostly stable cardiovascular disease. Vascular aging is characterized by arterial stiffening, dilation, and arterial wall thickening. In their article, Arterial stiffening is a heritable trait associated with arterial dilation but not wall thickening, a longitudinal study in the Twins UK cohort. Marina Cecelia and colleagues from King's College London in the UK investigated the extent to which these changes are related and their heritability during five-year follow-up in 762 female twins of the Twins UK cohort. Annual increases in carotid femoral pulse wave velocity, carotid diameter, distensibility, and intima media thickness were 0.139 meters per second, 0.028 millimeters, minus 0.4 PA minus 1, and 0.011 millimeters per year, respectively. Predictors of progression in carotid femoral pulse wave velocity included age, blood pressure, and heart rate at baseline, and their progression over time, and that of the body mass index, while those for intima media thickness included progression in blood pressure, body mass index, and triglycerides. Heritability of progression of carotid femoral pulse wave velocity, diameter, and intima media thickness was 55%, 21%, and 8% respectively. Thus, arterial stiffening and dilation are heritable, but independent of arterial wall thickening. Whether genetic and cardiovascular risk factors contributing to these changes are further discussed in an editorial by M. F. O'Rourke from the University of New South Wales in Australia. Obstructive sleep apnea is associated with hypertension and cardiovascular events. Safi Yu Khan and colleagues from the Guthrie Robert Packer Hospital in Pennsylvania, USA, performed a meta-analysis of CPAP therapy in prevention of cardiovascular events in patients with obstructive sleep apnea. They collected 4,268 patients, demonstrating a non-significant 26% relative risk reduction in major adverse cardiovascular events, or MACE, with continuous positive airway pressure, or CPAP. A series of sensitivity analyses suggested that increased CPAP usage time yielded significant risk reduction. 
Indeed, CPAP adherence time, greater than or equal to 4 hours per night, reduced the risk by 57%. Overall, CPAP showed no beneficial effect on MACE or atrial fibrillation or flutter or heart failure. However, it had positive effects on mood and daytime sleepiness. Thus, CPAP might reduce MACE among subjects with usage time exceeding 4 hours per night only. The implications of these findings for clinical practice and future research are outlined in a thoughtful editorial by Martin Cowie from Imperial College London in the UK. Cardiovascular events, both in the coronary and in large parts in the cerebrovascular circulation, are related to rupture-prone atherosclerotic plaques. The interconnection of metabolic and inflammatory processes in rupture-prone plaques is poorly understood. In their basic science article, Altered Metabolism Distinguishes High Risk from Stable Carotid Atherosclerotic Plaques, Lucas Thomas and colleagues from Lunds University in Malmö, Sweden, investigate associations between metabolite profiles, inflammatory mediators, and vulnerability in carotid atherosclerotic plaques, obtained from 159 patients. The altered metabolic signature in high-risk plaques was consistent with a change to the increased glycolysis, elevated amino acid utilization, and decreased fatty acid oxidation, similar to what is found in activated leukocytes and cancer cells. Thus, an altered cellular metabolism supporting inflammation appears to be a key feature of vulnerable plaques. Whether targeting their metabolism with novel metabolic radio traces or inhibitors might represent novel approaches to identify and treat the high-risk atherosclerotic plaque is further evaluated in a comprehensive editorial by Christian Weber from the Ludwig Maximilians Universität in Munich, Germany. Patients with chronic kidney disease are almost universally hypertensive and they are at increased risk for cardiac events and rhythm disorders in particular. In their current opinion, chronic kidney disease and arrhythmias, conclusions from a kidney disease, improving global outcomes, KDIGO, controversies conference, Christoph Wanner from the Universitätsklinikum in Würzburg, Germany, remind us that drug, device, and procedural treatment options may be limited in this population or complicated by chronic kidney disease or dialysis. Such patients are also underrepresented in randomized trials, limiting the availability of evidence. Thus, the KDIGO's multidisciplinary panel identified knowledge gaps and research priorities for preventing and treating arrhythmias in chronic kidney disease such as atrial fibrillation and stroke, rate versus rhythm control in atrial fibrillation, prognostication and prevention of sudden cardiac death, and maintenance of electrolyte homeostasis. KDIGO here provides a consensus in managing arrhythmias in chronic kidney disease and guidance for clinical practice. Many cardiovascular events occur at distinct periods in the day. This may, at least in part, be related to circadian changes in body function. 
Notably, the cardiovascular system, including the heart itself, is particularly sensitive to circadian variation. In an education article entitled The Circadian Clock in Cardiovascular Regulation and Disease, Lessons from the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine 2017, Linda W. van Laker and colleagues from the University Medical Center Utrecht in the Netherlands review the seminal work of the 2017 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine awardees Jeffrey Hall, Michael Rosbash, and Michael Young and their discoveries of the molecular circadian clock. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.